Welcome to Behind the Podium, a podcast series produced by GTS Educational Events that lets you hear what speakers are saying before or after the podium mic is turned on. Join me, your host, Jasper Appleton, to find out what makes these speakers tick and discover new insights about topics that matter to you on each episode of Behind the Podium. In today's episode of Behind the Podium, I talk with Ryan Coltier from Sourcewell Technology about the importance of data security in both the public and private sector. Welcome back to the third episode of Behind the Podium. I'm your host, Jasper Appleton. Here with me is Ryan Coultier. And uh, why don't you tell us a little about your background, your expertise, and how you got into the public sector of IT and IT security. Thanks for having me today, Jasper. Uh, so I've been dabbling in IT since I was a small child. I uh, started out building some computers when I was about eight. I uh, wrote my first software program when I was about nine. And uh, it's really been a passion of mine ever since. I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Uh, For the majority of my career, I worked in private sector um, across a variety of verticals, healthcare, manufacturing, agriculture. Um, And in the last couple of years, I I noticed a growing trend in the public sector that they really didn't have anybody who was uh, very well versed in in cybersecurity or if those people existed, they were so few and far between. And so I I was faced with a choice. I could stand around and demand that change happen, or I could be the one to bring it. And so uh, I entered the public sector, uh, specifically in the K-12 space, about uh, almost three years ago now, and really have dedicated my time since then to to focusing on what we can do to increase the security and privacy of of the students, the staff, uh, and the community at large. Mm -hmm. And was there anything in specific that you kind of saw and you were like, "Mm mm-mm? this is it, like I got it, I got to get in here and I got to make the change. You know, I think uh, as I worked in a, in a variety of different uh, uh, job roles in IT, if you will, uh, developer, infrastructure, data, you know, um, business intelligence, security was always a, a, a constant theme. And I noticed that the corporate um, groups were having the same challenges as the private sector in that the basics, 20 years later, the basics were still a problem. And what I realized that that key thing, if you will, that you asked me, uh, was that we were using language that was inconsistent with the majority of humanity. Mm-hmm. Right? We weren't speaking human, we were speaking right. technological. Exactly. And so we weren't getting the, the resonance that we needed, we weren't seeing the change that we needed. And so uh, that was really the catalyst moment for me. Um, the, the, the quick story I'll tell you on that is my son uh, came home, and uh, he's about 21 now, but he had come home, uh, I think it was the second or third week of high school, and he was very proud that he knew the password to the school's Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And he says, Dad, I know the password. I said, I do too. And he goes, well, how do you know it? I said, it's the building address. And he goes, it is. And I said, the sad thing, son, is that's true at almost every school in America. Really? Is that, that you know, the, the passwords were very easy because mm-hmm. it's, you know, managing them can be difficult. Exactly. And, and it was kind of later that night that I, I really felt a strong pull to, to stand up and do something and make a change. Right. And, yeah, that's, that's actually a really funny story because I, I can remember just feeling proud because I don't, I don't think I ever did anything to, like, get into the school's, like, con- like private server or whatever, um, that private Wi-Fi. But I would just kept, continue to click it. And I think finally they were just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> just just <laughs> let me in. Um, but... So in, in your kind of your background, if, if you would say that, you know, in technology, everyone that works in IT is a superhero, what would your superpower be? Like uh, communication, okay. the ability to talk, not IT mm-hmm. and still convey the important parts of the message. And that is an incredible thing that, because you have a bunch of people who are so fluent in this technology, but then are actually so not fluent in just communicating with humans. And that in, in a world where eventually those two things 
are going to come together because uh, the first episode that we did, we interviewed um, Chris Dancy, um, the most connected man in the world, and we kind of talked about that idea where technology will eventually meet human like humanity and we will then have instead of wearing apple watches they'll be inside of us you know we'll put on contacts they'll allow us to see perfectly but then also will give us the news and things like that so i think having someone who can kind of translate between those two techno you know languages is something very important and we see the very beginnings of that today we mm -hmm. see that with um you know how alexa is being used in the home exactly uh you know all you have to do is open up the news to see how the data that's been collected on you is being misused mm -hmm. uh some cases being used to manipulate elections and other cases being used to you know manipulate financial outcomes right um, so we're seeing those early beginnings i definitely agree with what he says and to lead in the next question there's there's some people who say that data is actually more valuable today than oil or gold that these personal data that these companies collect on you is something that we that they can distribute to other companies and then is actually becoming more valuable why don't you talk a little bit about kind of why it makes it so valuable why our own personal data is so valuable you know, with the uh, adoption of technology the way we've done it, and, and really most people these days are getting their news, uh, their entertainment, their social interactions through their cell phones or, or their laptops. But, you know, the traditional advertising model of the, the old days where you would watch a television show and then you'd get, you know, those 30-second commercial spots very non-targeted advertising mm -hmm. and so as uh, we've uh, embraced the technology the advertisers have seen the value in creating very targeted and very specific ads uh, and so uh, that being the case the data has really become that commodity that's that is more valuable than oil mm -hmm. um, some would argue it's it's quickly uh, on its way to being more valuable than gold even right and it's because with that data uh, marketers political influencers uh, educators you know, folks can do a lot now uh, with that very specific data. So one of the things we, we see in education is using unique specific data for things like an RTI program, so right. a response to intervention, or some of the other uh, curriculum development programs we mm -hmm. see. Uh, on, the, on the private sector side, we, we see that data, you know, being used for financial gain um, mm -hmm. to kind of customize ads and, yeah. and to drive different trends. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so kind of talking about that personal data, Everything you know, it, even the things that you think wouldn't be on the internet are on the internet. Like we've put them, you know, their credit cards, uh, bank statements. But even you know, the people who aren't even old enough to be on technology are on there. You know, you post a picture of your new baby. Now the internet knows there isn't someone. There's a new life form in your family, and that person, you know, it, they can get everything from that eventually because it will all be on the internet. And so you know. Leading into that, what are the most pressing data privacy concerns that you're seeing right now in the public sector? Uh, I would say the number one uh, pressing concern that I'm seeing in the public sector is a, a lack of ability to cleanly manage the data. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have a lot of folks that are doing the best they can with what they have, but there is really no overarching guideline, a technical guideline, if you will, that, that speaks to the specific things that that human needs to do in their job. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, the way that data gets handled by a teacher in the classroom, by a county commissioner, by the DOT manager that uh, you know here in Minnesota runs the snow plows. Mm -hmm. They all have sensitive data that they handle, but they handle it for different reasons uh, and to serve different needs. 
And so there's no overarching standard. And, and so a lot of times folks in a desire to be helpful, you know, inadvertently expose data or uh, misuse it in ways that they don't, you know, quite understand. So I think it's a lack of a, of a national standard, if you will, mm-hmm. around security and around privacy. And that's not just in the private sector. That's in every. That's, that's in the public, public private. It's across the whole board. Absolutely. Interesting. And just so talking to actually my mom about this, where, um, you know, as a kid, I everything now is on the internet. But when I was a kid, I would. That's how I learned. I learned from the internet, right? And it's the same thing. But you don't know what that kid is now going and doing on the internet. And there's so many people who are, are you know, the bad guys out there who are trying to get in your information or trying to, you know, click these links. Because a kid doesn't know the difference between, you know, like you said, uh, uh, Nelson Mandela's wife. He doesn't know who that is, but he knows how to click a link. And so that can then eventually be brought, you know, brought back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, when, we, when we look at schools, really the, the challenge with the student is, you don't have to know as much technologically sophisticated things that you once did. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'll tell parents is if you ever wonder how easy it is to hack a school, just go to Google and type in how to hack my school. And within seconds, you'll have hundreds of thousands of YouTube videos right. with step-by-step instructions. Yeah. So I think the, the bigger challenge is how do we help the kids make good and ethical decisions right. about that curiosity? Right. We want to foster that curiosity. We want to help that student to grow and become a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an interesting stat in, in cybersecurity is that we have you know, multiple millions of job positions open and going unfilled and that that gap is only growing. Mm-hmm. A big part of how we're going to be able to fill that workforce gap is by teaching these skills to the kids, but we need to do it with some ethical boundaries. Right. We need to have some some contexts of, mm-hmm. of consequence. Right. So just like we teach them to look both ways before they cross the street, yeah. we also need to teach them to have a good password, mm-hmm. to not share. You know, One of the things that I like to talk about is old life skills mm-hmm. applied to new life behaviors. Right. And why cybersecurity and data privacy is a fundamental life skill Mm -hmm. that we all need in 2019 and into the future. Most of us conduct 90% of our life or more using some form of technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, We bank with technology. We shop with technology. We conduct our love life and our personal relationships with Mm -hmm. technology. And yet we still treat it as somehow not real. And as physical systems and cyber systems continue to become one, as we become more dependent on code to keep our airplanes in the sky, Mm -hmm. as we move towards self-driving cars, um, you know, uh, I don't want to be the guy to be run over by the self-driving car because we didn't bother to teach a generation exactly. about the safe use of technology. And, and it isn't just cyberbullying, which right. is very important, mm-hmm. but it's also about physical safety. And I think that starts from the beginning because we, you know, I feel like it's just as important to learn about our human biology than to, you know, as it is to learn what or how our computers are working, how the internet is working, because. I just think that if I'm going to sit here and I can regurgitate, well, I know the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It's the only thing I know from biology. But maybe the one thing that a student can pick up from from like a, a tech class or a comp sci class is, um, I don't know, but something important that they can use. But I also got a funny image in my head where we we now are teaching these comp sci classes and, and it's happening right now. But now we have to tell our kids or the kids in the classroom instead of not to shoot wads of spitball at the teachers. Right. Instead, not to dox the teachers' emails, you know? Right, right. I thought that was a funny image, but... And it's very true. And, mm-hmm. and you know, unfortunately, uh, and we see this unfolding in the news, you know, just even in the last couple of weeks, one bad actor 
with the right level of knowledge is able to cause massive amounts of disruption, uh, disruption to the economy, disruption to businesses, disruption to safety. You know, we see things happening in Baltimore, in Boston, uh, you know, with cities being ransomware, mm-hmm. this is a huge issue. This this is impacting city services, public health. And that happens also at schools. It happens everywhere. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And to, to lead into that question, so what are the most effective measures government and school systems are taking to help citizens kind of, you know, and citizens and students keep that data safe, keeping, you know, having that peace of mind that they are, you know, aren't going to get hacked or their personal information is going to get stolen. You know, I think a lot of the public institutions are working hard towards coming up with solutions. Uh, I don't know too many that are are really um, delivering a turnkey solution, if you will, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that the number one thing they can do and should do that will have an immediate impact is to change the conversation right. to when we do our privacy awareness and our security awareness training, mm-hmm. not to make it a boring one time a year event right. that nobody remembers because mm-hmm. it's just checking a checkbox, but to really drive home the point that this is a, a foundational life skill. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll use this analogy. You know, when we have kindergartners, we need to teach them many, many times to wash their hands after the restroom. Right. And we have to reinforce that over and over and over again. We, mm-hmm. don't, we don't say one time once a year, mm-hmm. wash your hands after you go potty, yeah. and then expect that child to, to have that skill. Right. I would argue that we need to do the same with, digital, uh, with our digital lives, with, with privacy and security, and focus on reinforcing on a regular, frequent basis mm-hmm the positive need for this change. Right. And I think that will be the thing that, that actually helps us get ahead of this. And it's just like anything else because what you're teaching those kids when you're teaching them to wash their hands is you're just teaching them preventative measures to, to not get sick. Correct. Right? And it's the same thing that you're teaching them is preventative measures not to get hacked. Change your password frequently. You know, don't click on, sus- on suspicious links. Things like that where if we teach those kids at, a, at an early age, that's just going to become... You know, natural. Well, we want to ingrain it into their daily behavior. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I and I do this with the adults as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to the cell phone, there was a, a general understanding among the generations that if it was too good to be true, it was. Yeah. Scams still existed. People mm-hmm. were still successful, but it took a much more brazen individual to pull off a scam right. before the digital yeah, era. Be very confident con artist. That's why they're called. Confidence man, yeah. Exactly. And now it takes a far less brazen individual mm-hmm. who maybe is tens of thousands of miles away from, mm-hmm. from their victim, and they're able to do it at a scale yeah. that they were never able to do before. And I think those are the two big things we gotta keep in mind is is that there's a there's a scale to this that requires us now to all wake up and pay attention mm-hmm. to what's unfolding in front of us. If you read any news, watch any news, you know, listen to a radio show hardly a day goes by now that you don't hear about some type of negative impact due to cyber. Right. Whether that's the stability of our elections, mm-hmm. whether that's the stability of our critical critical infrastructure, whether that's the safety, uh, the physical safety in our schools. Mm-hmm. You know, we rely very heavily on cyber solutions to provide physical safety to our students. Right. Surveillance cameras, door locks, you know, gunshot detectors in some cases, and if those systems were to be compromised, right. uh, then all of that trust and assurance that we've placed in those security controls go mm-hmm. away with with a, a mouse click. Yeah, and that's so scary to me. 
but and people because especially growing up you see those Mission Impossible James Bond movies where they're gonna hack into the you know the mainframe or whatever and it all it takes is for them to put a little wire on another wire and they're in but that's not how it is it's they can do it from anywhere on any server they just need access to that server and that is something that I feel like isn't common knowledge especially you know to a lot of people in America where they feel that you know they because are somewhere else that they they can't get hacked or they can't you know their information can't well and it goes back to what we touched on earlier until we treat this as mm-hmm. just as real yeah. as getting up in the morning and putting on our shoes and socks mm-hmm. we have to get to that level of importance to our daily life right you know most of us uh, uh, will go through a day we're going to eat some food mm-hmm. we're going to get up we're going to go to bed we're a lot of times we're going to go to work we're mm-hmm. going to do these things and we don't think about them they're just part of our yeah. daily life um, you know, a lot of us, you know, when we come to a, to a red light, if you're a driver and you come to a red light, you know that that's, that's to that's stop. Right. And it's not to inconvenience you. It's to ensure your safety. Exactly. And so when your IT team asks you for multi-factor authentication, mm-hmm. remember, it's not to inconvenience <laughs> right, you. Yeah. It's to enhance your safety. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually had one of my accounts hacked. Um, it, separate, but whatever. Um, but I got on the phone with the IT and I was just, this, it was scary and they were like yep this person can have your information can have had to change everything else so it's a very real thing that could happen to anyone you don't think it could happen to you but it can and it's because that it, at least for me it's like you said it's a part of our daily lives now technology is now a part there's no getting rid of it we can't live without it we're not going backwards we're not going backwards like sorry this is it this is here to stay and so you know the more that we wake up check our phones the more that we because that's the first thing that i do when i wake up and it's a it's kind of it's not really sad but it's it's just now a habit mm-hmm. it's how my life life has changed i look at the time time's on my phone messages are on my phone everything's on my phone and so when we start you know realizing that this is here to stay we need to protect ourselves because just as you know there are there are bad people in the world there are people who want to hurt hurt people there are people who want to take the easy way out and if you can give you know an easy act you know especially like an easy door for that to happen for these people who are incredibly intelligent people who know how to you know get in into your personal technology and your personal accounts it's gonna, it's just going to be easy especially for them all it all it takes for them is patience well, and and the you know you got safety concerns, but also uh, there's the inconvenience factor. Mm-hmm. So if you're not motivated by the safety, yeah. maybe be motivated by the inconvenience. On average, mm-hmm. it takes about 640 hours to recover from identity theft, and you know I know I don't have that kind of time laying around. Mm-hmm. And you know, and the other thing is, is you know, some of our, uh, you know, I talk all over, all over the country about this, and some of the folks I'll interact with that are maybe a little bit closer to retirement or already in retirement, a lot of times they say to me, "Well, Ryan, I've lived my whole life up to this point, and I haven't had to worry about this. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to start now? I'm done working. I'm done raising kids. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready to ride my golf cart and, and you know, right. enjoy uh, my gardening and, and baking bread or whatever I'm going to do with my free time." And I asked them. I said, "Yes, but we need you to care because of the grandchildren, because right. of your children, mm-hmm. because of the world you're, you that is coming up behind you that needs your participation." So when they call you and say that they're the IRS, mm-hmm. hang up the phone and call the IRS at the 1-800 number that's publicly listed. Yeah. When the email comes and it says it's Microsoft looking to fix your computer, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Delete that email. Exactly, yeah. I think one of my favorite parts about your um, 
<laughs> your your tacos when you when you go. If the FBI wants you, they will come and find you. They will come in with either a batting ram or a, or a flashbang. They will find you though. The IRS will come to your door. They have the time. I thought that was absolutely. You know, and they don't. Uh, they generally don't send you emails mm-hmm. asking you for things they already know. Yeah. If they want to talk to you, they generally show up in person to have <laughs> exactly. that conversation. Yeah. Um, but so talking a little bit about your organization, uh, SourceWell, how does SourceWell help governments and schools keep that data privacy and security so that, you know, uh, I can send my kids to a school without thinking, well, maybe one day he's going to come back and, you know, all my, all my security is going to, you know, be gone because he clicked a couple links. Absolutely. So, so SourceWell technology um, has a variety of security services uh, that we provide to public sector entities. Uh, city, state, local government, education, K through 20, uh, consultancy and advisory services. Sourcewell is the trusted advisor. That is our mission to uh, enrich the communities in which we serve. Uh, we are a governmental entity, so we're by government for government. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really have a unique approach in how we go in and talk about these things. We know that schools specifically, uh, but also small governments, a lot of times have unique challenges to implementing a security program that, that's functional. Uh, those could be challenges ranging from very complex systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even small schools can have thousands upon thousands of devices, making mm-hmm. it very challenging to manage. They could have um, different levels of understanding within the community about the, the nature of the problem mm-hmm. and, and the need to make change. Uh, so what SourceWell does is, is we partner with those individuals to understand their unique need for their community and then work very hard to craft solutions that are um, hand-in-glove fit for, the, for that community. Right. And yeah, that's, that's amazing. Sorry. I, the next question we talked about before. So I got to skip around. Um, and so is there anything that you would say just to the average listener of what are what are some easy ways that you can just protect your personal data and your kids' personal data? So to all the parents, go ahead and freeze the kids' credit. <laughs> You're going to want to go to TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. You're going to want to freeze their credit. It's going to take you about 15 minutes. Uh, it'll be the best thing you do. It will guarantee the child will not be a victim of credit fraud. Uh, the next thing I'll tell you is to trust but verify. Let's go back to healthy skepticism. Let's jump in that time machine for a second, you know, and I don't want to suggest that we go back to the good old days as maybe we hear some people, you know, talk about these days in the media, but I do want to remind us that if it's too good to be true, it is. And, and we really need to focus on that healthy skepticism. And the last thing is, is if, if they're asking you to do something that you've never been asked to do before, if it's a threat, if it's a demand, if it seems very, very urgent, uh, it doesn't matter if this is an email coming from your boss, a phone call coming from uh, you know, someone claiming to be from, from law enforcement or, or you know, the tax agency, um, slow down and check. Go ahead and call that public number. Uh, don't click those links that are in those suspicious emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a couple of easy sayings, when in doubt, throw it out. Um, stop, think, and then click. And, and most importantly, again, healthy skepticism. If it's too good to be true, it right. is. There is no, no free money. Yeah. So what does the future look like to you for data privacy and security? I think that the more that we as a society start to treat this as the physical, real, tangible problem it is, mm-hmm. I think the future could be very bright. 
I think if we can move to a place where it works a little bit more like our other critical infrastructure, right. uh, I can meet many people every day very capable of plugging in devices to the wall outlet. Mm -hmm. I have vet, met very few people capable of climbing up the pole and servicing the electricity. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know how it works to be able to use it. Right. So I think if we as a society demand that our governmental institutions, that, that our businesses that we conduct and trade this data with, yeah. um, that our friends, family, and neighbors all hold each other to a slightly higher standard right. when it comes to this topic, mm -hmm. I think the future is very bright. I think we, we are going to be able to, to get ahead of this. Yeah. If we don't do that, I think 25 years from today, I'll do a podcast with you, and we'll be having the same conversation. Oh, we probably will. We, we probably will be. Um, I think one of the things that or I was reading a little lightly about, and because, again, like I'm not in the IT sector and I don't really understand, but I, I understand that Barr is trying to get or is lobbying for a backdoor or an encryption backdoor on something. And <laughs> I see your face already. And so kind of tone, tone, talking to someone who doesn't it, you know, explain it to me like I'm five. So we have a unique challenge in our country that's existed for many years, and that's the challenge of privacy versus security. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement would like to be able to access that data uh, to more effectively monitor and, and conduct their investigations. Mm -hmm. From a privacy perspective, if they can get in through the back door, anyone, anyone can. can get in through the back door. Right. And, so and that's the bigger concern is that by, by doing that, not only are we potentially creating gray area around the Fourth Amendment, mm -hmm. but we are also uh, making it that much easier. Uh, I'll go back to this. One of the most common uh, tools out there being used today to execute cyber attacks was a tool built, designed, and developed by the intelligence community and then stolen and released to the public. It's just some things like that where it just kind of gets you scratching your head and you're like, are we really, are we really doing this? But no, that's, that's great. And for the people who are, are got interested and listen to this and, and want to learn more about or any, anything that they can easily access on Netflix or... You know. I would encourage everyone to watch The Great Hack on Netflix. I think it's a fantastic documentary. It speaks about the Cambridge Analytica uh, misuse of data. So for those of you uh, aware of Cambridge Analytica, um, you know what's going on. And those that, that are not, uh, they are a data organization that uses your social media data to uh, influence and impact uh, political situations and elections and such. It's, it's a very eye-opening documentary. I'd encourage everybody to watch it. Awesome. Well, if you are interested to learn more about Ryan Coltier or Sourcewell, the links to their socials will be in the description below. Thank you. Uh, this was Ryan Coltier. I'm Jasper Appleton. Thank you again so much for, for coming and taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Behind the Podium, a podcast by GTS Educational Events. Visit our website mngts.org for the full lineup of podcasts and to learn all about the exciting events we have coming up.